down a threat to decency and humanity. Last week, along with cocaine, what is it today? It's more in one small country. It is a big idea. Because of oppression, has new Chemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to take a look at Tavistock's Blueprint for Control. Tonight, we'll be reading from a book written in 1993 by Dr. John Coleman. This book is called Diplomacy by Deception, an account of the treasonous conduct by the governments of Britain and the United States. Now, you may be familiar with Dr. Coleman's work on the Committee of 300, and certainly we'll be touching on some of that tonight, but primarily we're going to be talking about Tavistock, where Tavistock got a lot of its ideas from, and who steered and directed Tavistock and founded Tavistock, and exactly what it is that they've been up to since the foundations of Tavistock. And we're going to look primarily at a gentleman, and I use that word very loosely here, named John Rawlings Reese, who was one of the primary founders of Tavistock and one of the primary policy makers behind the Tavistock system. And he's had an awful lot of influence in our world. He's had a lot of political leverage in this world in very many places. And many of the ideas he introduced have been adopted wholesale by governments and quasi-governmental think tank groups from around the world and have been implemented in many ways. And we're going to get into a little bit of the background here. And keep in mind as we go through this, this was written in 1993. Dr. John Coleman tried to warn us many decades ago about the very things we're looking at today. So this is 30 years ago. This book is from. And you may be shocked at some of what has come to fruition since that time, and we'll also see how some of their plans may have been delayed slightly from what their original intent was here. And we'll get into that as well. So it's a very interesting read, and there's some interesting history and background behind it that at some point in the near future, we're going to take another run at. So we'll get to that as we get there. But anyway... Tavistock and Operation Research Undeclared War. The founder for the Tavistock Institute for Human Relations, John Rawlings Reese, was to perfect a system that would subvert and then control the thinking of human beings so that they could be channeled in any direction so desired by the Committee of 300, also known as the Olympians. It must be said that to do this, one must introduce an automated mentality into the bulk of the targeted population. This is an objective with very far-reaching implications nationally and internationally. 
the end result of Reese's objectives were and remain control of all human life, its destruction when deemed desirable, whether it be through mass genocide or mass slavery. We are witnessing both today. One is the Global 2000 Genocidal Plan, which calls for the deaths of more than 500 million people by the year 2010. The other is slavery by an economic means. Both systems are fully operational and working side by side in today's America. And I'm going to pause for a moment right there. So as we see this Global 2000 Plan, originally called for the world population to be reduced by 500 million by the year 2010, well, it seems they had to push back their plans a little. This has happened in the past here with these folks. You see, they had their Agenda 21 and their Global 2000 plan, but they seem to have fallen behind schedule for whatever reason, whether it be whistleblowers, guys like Dr. Coleman here, calling them out on it, people catching on to some of what's going on and not being cool with that. So they've had to push back their plans. They're extremely patient and they work generationally. We know this. They use 50 and 100 year plans when they come up with their policies. So this being the case, we understand they're extremely patient. So they pushed it back a generation or two. And now they have their Agenda 2030 nonsense that they've been pushing very heavily. And I think they're going to wind up pushing that back a little bit too. They don't seem to be hitting their benchmarks here. Of course, everything got turned on its head in March of 2020 when they rolled out all of the COVID nonsense that they did. And we have seen so many people capitulate to their demands that perhaps now they feel the time is right to double down on that, on these small victories they've achieved, and push their timeline back forward to where they want it. Rather than pushing it backwards off into the distant future, they're trying to move it up so that they can get these things done sooner than they want. So are we at the precipice of seeing a world reduction of population by an estimated 500 million? Seems possible. About a decade and a half too late from where they originally planned, but it seems like they've succeeded on some level with introducing eugenics-based therapies out there. And we're seeing the ramifications of that happening in real time, although you'll never hear an admission to this in the mainstream press or the mainstream media or in mainstream scientific circles. They won't admit it. They see it. They know it's going on. They have the, the data to support that, to know. But they'll never bring it to the attention of the public because there would be too, too many questions that are uncomfortable for them to answer. And they're not going to do that because that would alert the people far more than they need to be alerted about these things. You see, they don't want it to get messy. They decided after World War II that large-scale destructive conflicts like that are not the way to go. They would rather use other methods to quickly reduce the population. And like I said, they're patient. So they can take a generation or two rather than doing it all at once and still get the same results they want. And I think they're shifting gears a little here. They have been trying to double down as of late and push things because they want to hit their timelines and their goals. 
with this stuff. But remember, they are patient, and they have pushed back their agendas before and transformed them slightly in order to slowly implement these things so as not to arouse the suspicion of the people too much. So anyway, let's get back to it here. So Dr. Coleman warned us back in 1993 that this was the plan by 2010 was to reduce world population by some estimated 500 million. They failed to do so at that point, but... Could it be? That's what they're gearing up now. Let's read on. Reese began his Tavistock experiments in 1921. It soon became clear to him that his system could be applied both domestically and militarily. Reese said that the solution to the problems he foresaw needed a ruthless approach without concern for religious or moral values. He later added another area to his hit list, that of nationalism. Reese is known to have studied the work of the Nine Unknown Men, as referred to in 1860 by the French writer Jacques Ollier. Among Jacques Ollier's remarks were that the Nine Unknown Men knew about the liberation of energy, sterilization by radiation, propaganda, and psychological warfare, all of which were absolutely unheard of in that century. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. The Nine Unknown Men. Perhaps you have heard some iteration of this before mentioned in podcasts somewhere, much like this one, talking about this notion of these nine unknown men who call the shots with a lot of this stuff. Well, this has a very definitive history, and actually at some future date, Jason and myself will be going at this, possibly on an episode of Crow 777, and we're going to break that down and try to find the roots of this notion of the nine unknown men. It was certainly a real thing. We know it was. It probably still is. And, of course, we have French writers like Jacques Collier, who wrote about this in 1860. And, of course, this notion of the nine unknown men goes back way further than that, and it has been recorded in some other works since that time. But this is an important concept that we will take a look at at a future date. But for right now, keep in mind, John Rawlings Reese studied the work of these nine unknown men, allegedly here, going at it from the sources provided by Jacques Collier. So Jacques Collier said that the technique of psychological warfare was the most dangerous of all sciences in molding mass opinion because it would enable anyone to govern the world. This statement was made in the year 1860. When it became obvious that British politicians were bent on solving the country's economic problems by means of another war, Reese was given 80,000 British army recruits to use as guinea pigs. Operation Research was the name given to his project, and basically it was designed to develop a methodology, which is called logistics, in military management that would make the best use of limited military resources. Sea, air, and land defense systems against Britain's foreign enemies. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. Operation Research, or Operations Research, later developed into a little-known science. Not little-known, a well-known science. Little-known at the time, but a well-known science now called cybernetics. 
This is where cybernetics was birthed from Tavistock. They use it for everything anymore. And this is exactly what's being talked about here. Let's read on. Thus, the original program was a military management one, but by 1946, Reese had developed Operation Research to the point that it could be applied as a civilian management program. Reese had arrived insofar as social engineering was concerned, but his work is concealed in top-secret files at Tavistock. Technically, the Reese-Tavistock ma Manual, of which I have a copy, going to pause for a moment, Dr. Coleman had a copy, of Reese's Tavistock Manual. I would love to get my hands on such a thing. If anybody has any inroads to get a hold of that, please, by all means, let me know. That would be fantastic. But let's continue on. So uh, Coleman claimed he had a copy of Reese's Tavistock Manual. And he said, It is a full declaration of war against the civilian population of any targeted country. Reese said that it had to be understood that Whenever any government, groups, persons in positions of power, uses his methods without the consent of the people, it is understood by these governments or groups of people that conquest is the motive, and that domestic warfare exists between them and the public. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. Now, this sounds a lot like things that were said in another document we've covered here before called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And, of course... All these things always seem to align from multiple sources that didn't have any connection with one another. But at any rate, we can see what's going on. We get the general intention behind a lot of this. Let's read on. Reese discovered that with social engineering comes the greater need for information that can be rapidly collected and correlated. One of the earlier statements attributed to Reese was the necessity to stay ahead of society and predict its moves by engineering situations. A big breakthrough for Reese and his social tinkerers came with the discovery of linear programming by George B. Danzig in 1947. This came at a time when Reese was engaged in a war with the American nation, a war which is still ongoing and which was greatly facilitated by the invention of the transistor by Bardeen, Bretagne, and Shockley in 1948. Enter the Rockefellers, who gave a huge grant to Tavistock to enable Reese to press ahead with a study of the American economy using Operation Research Methods. Simultaneously, the Rockefeller Foundation gave Harvard University a four-year grant to create its own American economy model. The year was 1949, and Harvard pressed ahead with its own economic model based on Tavistock's. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. And this was written by a gentleman named Wazali Leontief, and it was Harvard's study on the American economy. And this was later used... This was later used by policy think tank groups, notably the Bilderberg Group, to plan the takeover of America through the use of the economic system, through the cybernetics methodology applied to the economic system in order to steer the whole American economy and therefore all the American people in one direction and conquer America that way. So we have these think tank groups 
who introduced this new silent weapon system, and that's exactly what it was. It was a type of accounting, was a type of data processing, data management, the collection of data and shock testing and various ways that they fine-tuned their data analysis and were able to steer the American economy and the American people in certain ways behaviorally just by controlling the flow of the dollars. And that's what they've done. That's how they've leveraged a great deal of control. And that's why everything, everything is bound up in financial systems in this country, not just in this country, in the entire world. How would our society function without some type of a monetary system? It's become such a huge factor in steering and controlling the masses. You see, what was understood here by Reese and Tavistock and later by those in the Bilderberg group and those other think tank organizations, what was understood is the unit of a dollar or money or monetary currency is a measure of social energy. And if it's a measure of social energy, it can be applied in certain directions. That is why they seek to quantify everything. I know I kind of stress this point a lot. There's a reason why they try to objectify and quantify everything. You see, if you could quantify something, if you could assign a value of some sort to it, then that can give you some type of a control mechanism over that. If you can quantify it, you can control it. And that's exactly what they've done. They've used the concept of trade to make the concept of money into a measurable commodity. That's why they push for a one-world currency. That's why that's always been the optimal point that they want to get to, a one-world currency. Because if they could measure everything with the same unit, that makes it infinitely more easily controllable. That's why right now, I mean, we use the... the standard American dollar as the, the world standard. Well, that's why they're having some issues right now, because you have the BRICS nations coming in and trying to change it up a little bit. Well, for the longest time, they've been using the American dollar, of course, backed by oil, the petrodollar, in order to steer whole economies. So they're very close to their one-world currency, but that's always why they've wanted it that way. And introduce digital currencies into the mix here. And you're talking about total panopticon control from the top down by those who can create the dollars out of thin air in an electronic ledger somewhere or make it disappear at the touch of a button. And that's what they always wanted. But see, this gives them a unified measurement of social energy if they can achieve this one world currency. That's why there's been such a push on for that. But anyway, that's just a little side tangent there because we've discussed that before and I just wanted to connect the dots for some folks. Let's read on here. So the only stipulation Reese made as a condition of his cooperation with Harvard was that Tavistock methods be followed throughout. These were based upon the Prudential Assurance Bombing Survey study, which led to saturation bombing of German worker housing as a means of bringing about the capitulation of the German war machine. 
These methods were now ready to be applied in a civilian context. Reese made a detailed study of America's entry into World War I, which he deemed to be the beginning of the 20th century. Reese realized that for America to be seduced away from so-called isolationalism, or isolationism, American thinking would have to be drastically changed. Woodrow Wilson had dragged America into European affairs in 1916 with corruption and corrupting policies. Wilson sent American forces to fight on Europe's battlefields in spite of the warnings issued by the Founding Fathers to stay out of foreign entanglements. The Committee of 300 was determined to keep the United States entangled in European and indeed world affairs forever after. Wilson did not change Europe, but Europe changed America. The banishing of power politics, which is what Wilson thought he could do, was not possible because power is politics and politics is economic power. This has been so since the earliest recorded history of politics. Those of the city-states of the Sumer and Akkad of 5,000 years ago right down to Hitler in the USSR. Economics is only an extension of a natural energy system, but that system, the elitists have always said, belongs under their control. I'm going to pause again for a moment here. So there it is. Economics is a natural energy system. It is the measure, the measure of social energy. What do economists do? I think I've advised you on this before. When you think of economists, you think there are these guys, stuffy guys, sitting around in a suit and tie behind a desk somewhere, crunching numbers and trying to figure out interest rates and things like this. What do they really do? Economists are social engineers, folks. That's what the job of an economist is. You'll notice many of these folks who are labeled economists or have their degree in economics, they often take psychology courses as well and have an undergraduate degree in psychology or some related subject as well in addition to their degree in economics you'll notice that look at that up and you'll see the number of crossovers there are between economists and those that have sociology degrees or psych degrees as well there's a reason for that because you see these are social engineers they don't just sit behind a desk and crunch numbers. They design and develop policies, and they play with numbers to steer people's behaviors. Whole economies. The people that exist within whole economies, they seek to change their behavior in certain ways by manipulating the data, the numbers. Anyway... Let's get back to it here. In order for an economy to be under the control of elite body, it has to be an economy that is predictable and totally manipulatable. This is what the Harvard model set out to accomplish, backed by the social dynamics of the Reese operation research. Reese had discovered that to achieve total predictability in population groups, the elements of society had to be brought under control, under a yoke of slavery, and dispossessed of the means of discovering their predicament, so that not knowing how to unite or a joint defense, they would not know where to turn for help.
going to pause again for a moment here, folks. Is this beginning to sound at all familiar to you? Look at the world around us. Everybody knows something's wrong, and they don't know where to go for help, and that's all by design. It's all by design. Let's read on. That Tavistock methodology is at work and can be found everywhere in the United States. People, not knowing where to turn to understand the predicament they find themselves in, turn to the worst place of all for supposed help, the government. The Harvard Economic Research Project, which began in 1948, embodied all the Reese principles, which in turn came out of the Prudential Bombing Survey and Operations Research. By joining forces, the elite felt that a means of controlling a nation's economy and the population was now available with the coming of the computer age, both a blessing and a terrible curse for mankind. All science is only a means to an end, and man is knowledge, or information, which ends in control. Who the beneficiaries of that control are was decided by the Committee of 300 and its antecedents 300 years ago. The war waged against the American people by Tavistock is now 47 years old and shows no signs of letting up. As energy is the key to all life on this planet, through diplomacy, by deception, and outright strong-arm methods, the committee has gained control of most energy resources. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So Dr. Coleman claims that it was decided by the antecedents of the Committee of 300, 300 years ago, that they would be the ones in charge. So this would put it in the 1690s time frame for when they originally came up with this notion of who would be in control. And then he claims that the war waged against the American people by Tavistock is 47 years old, and that was as of 1993 with the writing of this book. So that would put that back at 1946 with the development of this operations research by John Rawlings Reese and the folks in the foundation that is Tavistock. So he's putting the beginning of this at 1946, whereas other publications put the beginning of this declared war against the public in 1954. And some would call this the Quiet War, or would consider this actually World War III, in which we are now heavily entrenched, and we have been since that time. It's a different kind of warfare, folks. It's a domestic war. It's been ongoing for a long time. Now, there are skirmishes and conflicts that look like what we would recognize as traditional war that do happen from time to time, but all of that stems very much from this quiet war that's been waged against the masses by these elitists, whom Dr. Coleman here calls the Committee of 300, and they also refer to themselves as the Olympians. For you see, they think they are the gods of this world. But let's continue on and see what else he has to say here. The committee, by deception and dissembling, has also gained control of social energy, which is expressed in economic terms, provided that the ordinary citizen could be kept ignorant of the real economic methods of bookkeeping, then the citizens would be doomed to lead a life of economic slavery. 
This is what has happened. We the people gave our consent to the economic controllers of our lives and became slaves of the elite. As Reese once said, people who will not use their intelligence have no better rights than dumb animals who have no intelligence at all. Economic slavery is essential if good order is to be maintained, and the ruling class may enjoy the fruits produced by slave labor. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. Now, do we hear the echoes of this resounding again from that very same phrase that we just said? Of course, it was paraphrased. In the other document we've read, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, you see how a lot of this stuff has this correlative factor attached to it from multiple sources. That's why I think we need to take it seriously. Now, if it was only Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars that made these claims, then I would say, Meh, yeah, it might be legit or it might not. Wouldn't take it so seriously, but because somebody like Dr. John Coleman is making the same claims here, and we're seeing these connections back to Tavistock, then we can take this a little more seriously because there's multiple sources, unrelated sources, that are making these same claims. Now, what's the chances? What's the chances? So that being the case, we need to take this a little bit more seriously. It seems that one correlates the story of the other, and they seem to run concurrent with one another. So that being the case, let's get back into this and see what else we could find out. Because this John Rawlings Reese fellow was a scumbag of some higher order here. Let's read on. Reese and his team of social scientists and social engineers went to work on the American public by learning first, then understanding, and then attacking the social energy or economics and the mental and physical weaknesses of the nation. Earlier, I said that the computer is both a blessing and a curse for mankind. On the positive side, there are many emerging economists who, through the use of computers, are starting to wake up to the fact that the Harvard model is a blueprint for economic slavery. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. I don't think Dr. Coleman was wrong here. And maybe there are some good economists out there with a conscience who have tried to battle back against this. But the damage has already been done. And the computer is both a blessing and a curse. It's such a useful tool. But at the same token, it was also designed with our slavery in mind. As a cruel taskmaster to keep us on the rails. That's what the intention behind these machines has been from the get-go by these people that have developed them or have funded the development of them, I should say, and have steered the development in this way. It's intended to be a massive control system. Now, they do have a lot more useful elements to them as well. It is both a blessing and a curse. Dr. Coleman is not wrong about that. But let's read on here. 
If this new breed of economic programmers can get its message out to the American people fast enough, the new world order of slavery can still be stopped. This is where diplomacy by deception plays such a vast role in subverting through the media, education, and influencing the way we think by distracting us with issues of absolutely no importance. Well, the truly important issues are glossed over. In a major policy study meeting ordered by the Committee of 300 in 1954, it was made clear to economic experts, high-ranking government officials, bankers, and leaders of commerce and industry that the war against the American people was to be stepped up. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. And I think now Dr. Coleman's referring to this first Bilderberg meeting. That's what was done here. So you see, we've been conditioned to be distracted with issues of absolutely no importance. What are your preferred pronouns? And in the meantime, while we're arguing and bickering over that stupidity, they're rolling roughshod over us, creating massive inflation, siphoning money through Ukraine and other proxy wars, and causing immeasurable damage to human life in the process, making things extremely difficult for people to keep their heads above water, making it extremely difficult for people to actually own anything. If we heard somebody say, you will own nothing and you'll be happy, well, it seems to me They've been working on that. If you go back and you look, I just saw a story yesterday, an article, that 44% of all single-family homes bought in the year 2023 have been bought by corporate holdings. So there's a vested interest here in real estate by some small groups like Blackwater and various others. To hold property. You see, they, they want you to be a renter. You will own nothing and you'll be happy. And have you noticed how expensive the rents have become? It, it's actually cheaper if you can do so, if you can actually purchase a property or a home. It's cheaper to do that than it is to rent. A, a mortgage costs significantly less than rent at this point. But the problem is, most of the young people, they don't have any type of savings because we've been largely conditioned to buy on credit. So what they will do is they will have to take out a mortgage, but they have no established credit. So therefore, they can't get a mortgage. So they get forced to rent. And when the rents are outrageously high, they could never get ahead enough to actually muster up a down payment to purchase a property and then get a somewhat cheaper mortgage than their rent is. And the attention spans have been dwindled down. So they don't think as far ahead into the future with this stuff. And therefore they wind up being renters for life. I see that happening with a lot of younger people. And then they don't want the hassle of having to actually do the maintenance of the property either. And that has been something that's been used as a method of keeping people 
from attempting to purchase property, but having real estate, having property is a valuable commodity. It's a real commodity that I think is going to be important here in the near future upcoming. Real goods, owning real stuff. Real money, real currency, hard assets like gold and silver, property, real estate, land. Having this kind of thing will help you to weather the upcoming economic storm. Make no mistake about it, it is an upcoming economic storm. It's been in its beginning phases here. We've seen rampant inflation, and it's beginning to really hurt the pocketbooks of your average person. And of course, the whole notion behind this will eventually be to where they tank everything so bad with the rising prices and people defaulting on paying back the money that they owe, where they'll begin to repossess property, they'll begin to repossess stuff, and it'll cause outrage in the masses, and they'll demand some type of a solution. And, of course, a ready-made government program will be implemented, introducing universal basic income, and that will help to stab off some of the financial bleeding of people for a short time. But, of course, there's always a caveat with that type of a system. You will pretty much be bound to that system, and you will own nothing as a result. Like I said, these people are patient. They know it's going to take a while. It's going to take a generation or two before the only ones that have any actual valuable real estate holdings will be the major corporations that will rent to the people. So this is how they operate. They're very patient, like I said. And we'll see. I think we're probably two generations removed from them getting their way, unless they could truly ramp this up much more quickly. But at any rate, the important part of this notion here is to realize it's our generation that can help to stab this off and maybe help future generations to have more freedoms than what they would have should these people get their way. And it's all about us being smart. It's all about us actually knowing what's truly valuable, what's true value, and that's things like real estate, hard assets, like gold, silver, food, having skills, that's the other thing, tools, having tools, having real assets, lumber, keeping this kind of stuff around being able to build something yourself, being able to grow your own food, having some type of independence from the system. This hurts them immensely. Learning skills, learn how to can food, learn how to grow food, learn how to hunt, learn how to fish, learn how to cook and prepare these foods and preserve these foods. Learn how to build a thing. Learn how to repair things. You see, this is the true way forward here. Own real assets 
and have real skills and be able to provide independently for yourself in a pinch should you need to. Try to make sure that you have enough food and water on hand to last at least several weeks should something happen because sometimes the power grid goes down or something and it doesn't hurt to have a generator of some sort handy and make sure you have enough gasoline on hand to power that generator or if you can afford to get a nice solar generator i would love to get one of those gigantic solar generators that you could just hook up to the house and of course keep it off grid because the electric company would very much like you to wire it into the grid they offer all kinds of incentives to do that but if you keep it off grid you're better off but at any rate that's enough of my rambling about that. Let's get back to this. Robert McNamara was one of those who said that because peace and good order was being threatened by an out-of-control population, the wealth of the nation had to be moved away from the undisciplined masses and into the control of the self-disciplined few. McNamara savagely attacked overpopulation which he said threatened to change the world in which we live and make it ungovernable. He says, quote, We can begin with the most critical problems of population growth. As I have pointed out elsewhere, short of nuclear war itself, it is the gravest issue that the world faces in the decades ahead. If current trends continue, the world as a whole will not reach replacement-level fertility in effect, an average of two children per family until about the year 2020. That means that the world's population would finally stabilize at about 10 billion compared with today's 4.3 billion. I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks, in the middle of McNamara's quote here. So now he's saying that the whole world as a whole will not re reach replacement level fertility in effect, an average of two children per family until about the year 2020. They've had this plan for a long time. They want to reduce the population. So McNamara was predicting that the population would stabilize at about 10 billion people, and we're almost there now, if you believe their official numbers. And at the time he said that, the population was 4.3 billion. So what does he mean by... The population will stabilize at 10 billion. And what do they think about this 10 billion? Let's continue. Because here, here's McNamara's quote some more. He says, We call it stabilized, but what kind of stability would be possible? Can we assume that the levels of poverty, hunger, stress, crowding, and frustration that such a situation could cause in the developing nations, which by then would contain 9 out of 10 human beings on Earth, would be likely to assure social stability, or for that matter, military stability? It is not a world that any of us would want to live in. Is such a world inevitable? It is not, but there are only two possible ways in which a world of 10 billion people can be averted. Either the current birth rate must come down more quickly, or the current death rates must go up. There is no other way. going to pause again here. McNamara has some more here that he says. But doesn't this all sound very familiar? So they think 
that had they done nothing, the population would stabilize at around 10 billion people around the year 2020. And we're just right around that. Perhaps they have attempted to thwart that number. I think that's demonstrable that they've done so. And maybe that's why we haven't hit this 10 billion by 2020. We're off by a little ways yet. And that's if you believe the total figures that they're really giving you for world population, which I, I do have some trouble with, but that's a subject for another day. But this is the claim. So this stabilized population of 10 billion by 2020, McNamara now says it wouldn't be a desirable world to live in. It would be overcrowded. It would be poverty-stricken. There would not be enough resources to go around, yada, yada, yada. All the Malthusian crap that these people have talked about for a long, long time now, that's never come to fruition because we do have abundance in this world. The only scarcity is this contrived scarcity or this forced scarcity agenda that they hand us. That's a problem in and of itself. There's plenty of resources to support the population. All that Malthusian crap that they always cite is way off base, but that's what they rely on for their policies. It's a false science that they've adopted. Population's not a problem. The earth can sustain what the earth can sustain, and it will decide for itself what it can and cannot sustain. And we have plenty of resources. There's plenty of resources to go around. It's all based on fraud and faulty thinking. But they've adopted it, and that's what they go with to justify the agendas that they promote. Let's read on. We're quoting again here from McNamara still. He says, there are, of course, many ways in which the death rates can go up. In a thermonuclear age, war can accomplish it very quickly and decisively. Famine and disease are nature's ancient checks on population growth, and neither one has disappeared from the scene. End quote. Famine and disease. Hmm. And he says these are nature's ancient checks on population growth. Well, what if they custom-designed some type of a disease? Then they could blame it on nature and say, See, we told you the world's become too overpopulated, and we warned you that nature would deal with it harshly, and this is just the natural results of that. You see, it installs this idea of plausible deniability. So who's to say what the true nature of things are? But of course, famine as well. Famine is a contrivance. That is a man-made thing. It's this artificial scarcity narrative again. There's plenty of food for the people in the world. Look at all the food that's wasted and thrown out daily here in the U.S. Think about that. Think about the massive amounts of food that goes into a dumpster daily. If you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know the shame and the waste that goes out the door. If you've worked in the, the grocery store industry, you know the shame and the waste that goes out the door into the dumpster on the daily. 
and we have still the audacity to say there's a scarcity of food to feed everyone. I don't think that's the case at all. But it gives them this plausible deniability aspect. If they could claim that these are nature's checks on population growth, disease and famine as the natural results of there being too many people. Let's get back to it here. So Dr. Coleman goes on here and he says, In 1979, McNamara repeated his message to the leading bankers from around the world. And Thomas Enders, a high-ranking State Department official, made the following statement, quote, There is a single theme behind all our work. We must reduce population growth. Either they do it our way, through nice, clean methods, or they will get the kind of mess that we have in El Salvador or Iran or Beirut. Once population growth is out of control, it requires authoritarian government, even fascism, to reduce it. Civil war can help things, but it would have to be greatly expanded. To reduce population quickly, you have to pull all males into the fighting and kill significant numbers of fertile, child-bearing age females. End quote. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So you see, these quote-unquote elites are a special kind of scumbag, aren't they? Uh, would you really make this suggestion to people in a meeting like this? Think about that. These are the type of scumbags we're dealing with here. They, they have no compunction with anybody dying. They have no compunction with that. They, they seek to reduce the population. They would like to do it through nice, clean methodologies because they learned after World War II how costly and how ugly Reconstruction was after a massive conflict like that. And they didn't want to repeat that. They would rather go about it the clean way, the easy way, the efficient way, the way that doesn't destroy infrastructure and require rebuilding, require masses of people to properly rebuild things and set infrastructure back up, they would prefer not to have the infrastructure crumble. You see, they would prefer not to have to use what we would call traditional warfare techniques here. They don't want to destroy buildings and infrastructure and all of these things because that gets really costly to rebuild and set back up. They learned this from World War II, and they decided they don't want to do that anymore. So they'll go about it the clean way, as Enders suggested here, the easy way. And th those are the I ideologies that they've largely adopted now. Let's go ahead and continue reading here. The solution to the problem of a world in which the elite would not want to live is mass genocide. The Club of Rome was ordered to produce a blueprint that would wipe out 500 million of excess population. The plan was called Global 2000, and it was activated by the spreading of the AIDS virus throughout Africa and Brazil. Global 2000 was officially accepted as U.S. policy by President James Carter. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Now, there's been much controversy over AIDS. Does it really exist as described? Was it 
a biological weapon of some sort, as some people have claimed. It's hard to tell what's true around this, but we see some similar similar things have happened over the course of the past couple of years here. We won't go into too much detail with that, but of course the same people that were involved with the whole AIDS response were also involved with this other response that we've seen over the course of the past several years. Of course, we're talking about Dr. Fauci being central to this. Yes, he's one of these elitist scumbags as well. I'm sure you already realize that. Smiling all the way to the bank. Thinking he's in the big club. But let's go ahead. Let's read on here. So it says, The conference members agreed that the low-class element of society must be brought under total control, trained and assigned to duties at an early age which can be accomplished by the quality of education, which must be the poorest of the poor. The lower classes must be trained to accept their position long before they have an opportunity to query it. Technically, children must be orphaned in daycare centers under government control. With such an initial handicap, the lower classes will have little hope of upward mobility away from their assigned positions in life. The form of slavery we have in mind is essential for good social order, peace, and tranquility. We have the resources to attack the vitality, options, and mobility of the individuals in society by knowing through our social scientists, understanding and manipulating and attacking their sources of social energy or income, and therefore their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses. The general public refuses to improve its own mentality. It has become a herd of proliferating barbarians and a blight on the face of the earth going to pause for a moment here, folks. This is certainly what these people truly think about you. You're a blight on the face of the earth. That's what they think. That's how they think of us. These elitist scumbags of this world. This is how they talk about us. They call you the useless eaters. But are we so useless? You see, the biggest secret of them all is that these elite scumbags, they would not be able to survive on their own were it not for the hordes of people who serve them willingly for the money, the bit of scraps from their table that they get. These wages, they think it's a good wage, and they could have a good life on that wage, and they'll help these people. It always always seems to amaze me that you have people who will sell out and support these elitist scumbags, thinking somehow they're, they're going to be better off for it. And this, this kind of harkens back to the same notion of somebody devoting their life to their job, thinking that being the best at their job is all important, and they put all their time and effort and energy into that, only to find out later that that company will replace you tomorrow. They don't care. You're nothing special to them. You are a human resource. That's how these elitists of the world think, too. 
So they'll hire their private chefs, and they'll hire their security, and they'll hire their housekeepers, and whatever other things that these wealthy elitists have, private planes, and you name it. They'll do all this. They'll pay them just enough money so that these people think that it's a good living for them and that somehow they have some type of a fa favor with these elitists when, in actuality, they'd replace them tomorrow if something were to happen. And they don't care. You're a human resource. You're like cattle on the farm to them. You're bought and paid for. That's how they see it. And that's how they view us. They view you as a blight on the earth. But the real big secret is, if nobody could be bought at that price, then these people would have very few skills of their own to actually survive with. They wouldn't know how to do anything on their own, these ultra-elitists and ultra-wealthy class people of this world. The ones who consider themselves the Olympians. What kind of skills do they have? Do you think that they could go out in the farm field and grow their own food? Do you think they know how to preserve food? They know how to butcher an animal should they need to? Do you think they could survive, live off the land? Seems like a, a far cry for me. So they depend upon these useless eaters all around them to provide for them. You see, they're like a blight to society themselves. They're, they're leeches. They're leeches. They leech off of the labor of others to sustain themselves. It's a type of vampirism, really. That's, what, that's probably the more correct term. These people are vampires of sorts. Let's read on here. So, continuing through the quote here, and I think this is still all attributed to that Tom Enders. So we see, he says here, by measuring the economic habits by which the sheep try to run from their problems and escape from reality via the medium of entertainment, it is absolutely possible, applying operation research methods, to predict the probable combination shocks or created events which are necessary to bring about complete control and subjugation of the population by subverting the economy. The strategy includes the use of amplifiers, also known as advertising, and when we speak on television in the manner that a 10-year-old can relate to, then because of the suggestions made, that person will purchase that product on impulse the next time he comes across it in a store. going to pause for a moment here, folks. Now he's drawing from the Ed Bernays playbook. This stuff's been going on a long time. They put a lot of thought in this. Let's continue. The balance of power will provide the stability that the world of the 21st century is likely to achieve, rent as it will be by passionate tribalism and by such seemingly insoluble issues like that posed by mass migration from the south to the north and from farm to city. There may be mass transfers of population, such as those between Greece and Turkey in the aftermath of the First World War, really mass murders. It will be a time of troubles in need of a unifier, an Alexander or Mohammed. 
a great change that will come about as a result of emerging conflicts between peoples who live side by side and which will, by their intensity, take primacy over their other conflicts, is the political rivalry will be within regions rather than between them. This will bring about a turning back from global politics. After a decade in which the U.S. and the Soviet Union dueled across oceans, the powers will focus on protecting themselves against forces on their frontiers or within them. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. Think about what's happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now. You see how they're shifting focus? Remember, this book was written in 1993. And these statements are allegedly from 1979. A meeting in 1979. Amazing, isn't it? So do you think there's something to this stuff or not? Do you think this is all wackadoodle, crazy conspiracy theorist nonsense, tinfoil hat stuff? I don't think it is. Seems rather interesting that all of these things that have been said behind closed doors and have been recorded for posterity by people who felt the need to be a good whistleblower and to compile this information seems a little convenient that it all seems to come to pass all the time, doesn't it? It's usually the same same places involved. Tavistock's always behind the curtain. Always something there. Let's continue reading, though, because there's still some ground to cover here. The American people do not know economic science and care little about it. Hence, they are always ripe for war. They cannot avoid war, notwithstanding their religious morality, nor can they find in religion the solution to their earthly problems. They are knocked out of shape by economic experts who cause shockwaves that wreck budgets and buying habits, the American public is yet to realize that we control their buying habits. There we have it. Split up nations into tribal factions, keep the populace struggling to make a living and concerned with regional conflicts so that they will never have an opportunity to get a clear view of what is going on, let alone challenge it, and at the same time bring about a drastic lowering of the world's population, we see this happening in the former Yugoslavia, where the country is being forced into small tribal entities, and we see it in America, where the average family has both parents working and yet cannot make ends meet. These parents do not have time to pay careful attention to how they are being deceived and led into economic slavery. It's all a setup, and I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks, just to point out Dr. Coleman was spot on, and if you look at the things going on today, it's amplified even more so than how he was talking about it here. Look at these regional conflicts. I mean, we have these multiple proxy wars that we, the American people, are somehow footing the bill for. We keep funneling money into Ukraine against our will, by the way, our, our just ridiculous, corrupt government our invalid government, really, keeps funneling money to Ukraine, and now they're funneling money through Israel in these little proxy wars. Shouldn't call them little. I mean, it's a large proxy war, but it's a regional war, much like what Dr. Coleman was talking about here and recording here. And somehow we're footing the bill for this. 
we're the ones that are picking up the tab for all of it. The American taxpayer. Interesting. And do you think there's a reason for that? Well, it's because it is all a setup, and that's why we have this massive inflation and stuff happening as well. You can't just keep printing money out of thin air with nothing backing it and not have things become inflated in this way. It devalues the value of the currency. Doesn't make any sense. But that's where we're at. But let's go ahead and read on. So he says, Today we observe, if we have the time, that the United States stand at the threshold of progressive dissolution as the result of Tavistock's silent control war against the American nation. The Bush presidency was a total disaster, and the Clinton presidency will be even more of a shock. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Remember, this was written in 1993, and of course he's talking about the first Bush presidency, Bush Sr., not W., which also was a clown show. Well, let's face it, the entire political system we have is a clown show at this point, and we could see that. Let's continue on. So he says, This is the way the blueprint is drawn, and we the people are fast losing faith in our institutions and our ability to remake America into what it was intended to be, a very far cry from what it is now. Overrun by foreign people who threaten to engulf the nation, a south-north invasion right here in our own country. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So you see all this nonsense with the southern border of the U.S. has been ongoing for a very long time. And it is a political talking point for many, and we do have illegals crossing the border on a regular basis. And that could be stopped if they really wanted to invest the time and effort and money into doing so. But of course, they don't, because, you see, it doesn't align with what the overall big picture is. It doesn't align with what their true plans are. So, of course, they don't want to end that because it's all about the population. That's exactly what they're looking for. So they want people to come flooding over the borders. They want to break the bank of the American taxpayer. They want this type of silent invasion going on. This secret invasion. Have you heard that term somewhere in entertainment recently? Anyway, let's continue here. We have surrendered our real wealth for a promise of greater wealth, instead of compensation in real terms. We have fallen into the toils of the Babylonian system of capitalism, which isn't capitalism at all, but an appearance of capital, as typified by currency, which is, in fact, negative capital. This is deceptive and destructive. The U.S. dollar has the appearance of currency, but it is, in fact, a token of debt and indebtedness. And I'm going to pause for a moment there just to point out that this is a hugely important truth that people need to come to terms with. The U.S. dollar is a token of indebtedness. That's what it is. It does not represent real wealth. Or true value, the only things that have real wealth or true value associated with them 
are real assets, things like heavy metals, valuable metals, gold, silver, real estate, land, owning land, owning tangibles, tangible goods, and being able to provide for yourself via those goods. That's it. Also doesn't hurt to have some valuable skills that you can use. Survival skills. Anyway, let's continue. I had to point that out. Currency, as we know it, will be balanced by war and genocide, which is what is happening in front of our very eyes. Total goods and services is real capital, and currency can be printed up to this level, but not beyond it. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. I think that they've printed beyond it. <laughs> Don't you? Let's read on. Once currency is printed beyond the level of goods and services, it becomes a destructive, subtractive force. War is the only way to balance the system by killing those creditors, which the people docilely gave up true value in exchange for inflated currency. Inflated currency. Energy, or economics, is the key to all earthly activities, hence the often repeated statement I have made that all wars are economic in origin. The thrust of the one-world government, New World Order, must of necessity be to obtain a monopoly of all goods and services, raw materials, and control over the manner in which economics is taught. Only in this framework can the New World Order gain full control. In the United States, we are constantly helping the one-world government to obtain control of the world's natural resources by being tricked into giving part of our income for this purpose. It is called foreign aid. Tavistock's Operations Re Research Project states as follows. Quote, now this is directly from Tavistock's Operation Research Project, headed by John Rawlings Reese. Quote, our research has established that the simplest mode of gaining control of people is to keep them undisciplined and in the dark of basic systems and principles, while at the same time keeping them disorganized, confused, and distracted by issues which are of relatively li little import. In addition to our less direct long-range penetration methods, this can be accomplished by a disengagement of mental activities and providing low-quality programs of public education in mathematics, logic, systems designs, and economics, and by discouraging technical creativity. Our mode calls for emotional stimulus, increased use of amplifiers which induce self-indulgence, whether direct, like television programs or advertising. We at Tavistock have found that the best way to accomplish the goal is through an unremitting and unrelenting emotional affrontation and attack, and it says in parentheses here, mental rape, through a constant barrage of sex, violence, wars, racial strife, both in the electronic and print media. This steady diet could be called mental junk food. Of primary importance is the revision of history and law and subjecting the populace to the deviant creation, thus shifting thinking from personal needs to constructed, fabricated outside priorities. The general rule is that there is profit in confusion. The greater the confusion, the greater the profit. 
One of the ways in which this can be accomplished is to create problems and then offer solutions. It is essential to divide the people, keep the adults' attention away from real issues, and overcome their thinking with matters of relatively little importance. The young must be kept ignorant of mathematics. The proper teaching of economics and history must never be made available. Keep all groups so occupied with an endless round of issues and problems that they have no time to think clearly, and here we rely on entertainment which should not reach beyond the mental capacity of a child in the sixth grade. When government is able to seize private property without just compensation, it is certain that people are ripe for surrender and consenting to slavery and legal encroachment, Energy sources which support a primitive economy are a supply of raw materials, the consent of people to labor, and assume a certain place, position, level in the social structure vis-a-vis -vis provide labor at various levels of the structure. Each class therefore guarantees its level of income and hence controls the class immediately below it, thereby preserving the class structure. One of the best examples of this was found in the caste system in India, in which rigid control was exercised, ensuring that upward mobility, which could threaten the elite at the top, was constrained. In this method is security and stability attained, and also a government from the top. The sovereignty of the elite is threatened when the lower classes, through communications and education, become informed and envious of the power and possessions of the class above them. As some of them become better educated, they seek to rise higher through a real knowledge of economics or energy. This presents a real threat to the sovereignty of the elite class. It follows that the rise of the lower classes must be postponed long enough for the elite class to achieve energy or economic dominance, labor by consent becoming a lesser economic source. Until such economic dominance is achieved to the fullest extent possible, the consent of people to labor and let others handle their affairs has to be taken into account. Failure to achieve this goal would result in interference in the final transfer of energy resources or economic wealth to the control of the elite. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So the whole plan is they have to convince people to consent to the system. They need to coerce people into consent to the system. Otherwise, it won't work for them, for these elitists. They will have a problem on their hands. But they think at some point that once the whole transfer of the wealth of the masses to this select group of elitists has completely taken place, then they won't depend upon that anymore. I think they're sorely mistaken. I think they're going to have a big problem on their hands regardless. I don't know why they feel so hubristic and arrogant in themselves that they somehow think that the mere act of them buying up or encompassing control of all the resources will give them ultimate power. What that does is that sets up a constant string of enemies to yourself. You see, these people don't seem to be real good students of history. They're so blinded by their own arrogance that they're kind of stupid in a way, these elitists. 
many of which have had generational wealth handed to them. They don't know what it is to work a day's, an honest day's labor, a day in their life, many of these people. And somehow they think they're better than us. I think they're in for a rude awakening one way or the other. But let's continue on, because we're still reading from this Tavistock playbook here. Until such times, it is essential to recognize that public consent is still the essential key to the release of energy in the process of economic amplification. A consent of energy release system is therefore vital. Artificial security must be provided in the absence of the mother's womb, which can take the form of withdrawal, protective devices, and shelters. Such shells will provide a stable environment for stable and unstable activity and provides a shelter for the evolutionary processes of growth, that is to say, survival in a shelter that gives defensive protection against offensive activities. It applies equally to the elite and the lower classes, but there is a definite difference in the manner in which both these classes approach the solution of the problem. Our social science scientists have made out a very compelling case that the reason why individuals create a political structure is because they have a subconscious desire to perpetuate their childhood dependency relationship. In the simplest of terms, what the subconscious longing demands is an earthly god to eliminate risks from their lives, put food on the table, and pat them on the back in a comforting way when things don't go well. The demand for an earthly problem-solver risk eliminator is insatiable, which has given rise to a substitute earthly god, the politician. The insatiable public demand for protection is met by promises, but the politician actually delivers little or nothing on his promises. Ever-present in humans is a desire to control or subdue others who disturb their daily existence. However, they are unable to cope with the moral and religious issues such actions would raise, so they give the task to professional hitmen, which we collectively call politicians. The services of politicians are engaged for a number of reasons, which in the main are listed in the following order. Number one, to obtain the longed-for security without managing it. Number two, to obtain action without the need to act and without get, having to give the desired action thought. Number three, to avoid responsibility for their intentions. Number four, to obtain the benefits of reality without exerting the necessary discipline of learning. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. And this, I think, does hold a measure of truth. People do want security without managing it. They do want actions to be taken without having to give those actions any thought. And they don't want to have the responsibility for their intentions behind these actions. And they also would very much like to reap the benefits and the rewards of social order and of all the technologies and all the other conveniences we have without having to learn the discipline of how those things really work. So this is true. This is true, and we can see the echoes of this hearkened back to this Silent Weapons from, for Quiet Wars document from which we've read as well. Amazing how all this stuff aligns. 
And that's primarily probably where much of the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars document came from, is from Tavistock. From this Tavistock playbook. From John Rawlings Reese. Operations Research. That is the same source that Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars cites as a source for this information. It's also the same source being cited here by Dr. Coleman. So that being the case, we can see this could be traced back to Tavistock, of course. They're, they've always been at the center of international social planning in this way. And we can see what has become of this and how various business interests have backed this. Big money families like the Rockefellers have backed this. They gave the financial grants necessary for, to do the Harvard Economic Research Study, which turns out to be a blueprint for total control, total social engineering of the masses. But people don't understand that because they don't understand the truth about what economics really is. It's social engineering. Economists are social engineers. And they don't realize it. Let's read on, because I think we're almost finished here. We can readily divide a nation into two subcategories, the political subnation and the docile subnation. The politicians hold quasi-military jobs, of which the lowest is the police force. Next come attorneys. The presidential level is run by the international bankers. The docile subnation finances the political machine by consent, that is to say, through taxation. The subnation remains attached to the political subnation, the latter feeding off of it and growing stronger until the day comes when it's strong enough to devour its creator, the people. When read in conjunction with the systems outlined in my book, The Committee of 300, it is relatively easy to see just how far Tavistock's operations research project has succeeded, and nowhere more so than in the United States. Recent statistics show that 75% of 6th grade children were unable to pass what was called the maths test. The maths test consisted of elementary simple arithmetic, which ought to tell us something. Mathematics did not come into the test at all. Cause for alarm, you be the judge. So you see, folks, the education system has been manipulated. We've been dumbed down. We are not taught actual mathematics at a high level. And it seems it's been degrading over the course of time. What do you think all this introduction of things like common core math and all of that nonsense has been about? It's not helpful. It overcomplicates things and confuses kids. I've seen it firsthand. I have four kids in school right now at various age levels and various grade levels. And the way that these school systems are mandated to teach this stupid common core math stuff, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like it confuses them. It causes 
them to shut down because it puts way too many steps in there and it overly convolutes everything. This has been put in there on purpose. So we see the degradation of the education system over time. And of course, this is to keep people ignorant of true mathematics and the true uses of mathematics. Because you see, mathematics is the chief energy science. And if you know how to use mathematics as the chief energy science, then you can calculate various things and understand various things on how to manipulate systems. This is why they seek to quantify everything. Because it creates a control system. And all you have to do is put in the right inputs and outputs. But if you're ignorant of how to do the accounting of those inputs and outputs, then you have no clue what's going on. And that's where they have us. And that's why they've been dumbing down the education system for so long. So you see here, all of this stems from this blueprint put out by John Rawlings Reese in Operations Research from Tavistock. Logistics for Military Operations. Applied domestically. Manipulated by people with ill intentions for the masses. These elitist scumbags of the world who think that they have the divine right to rule everything and they want to be the ones in charge. They want to have total control. They think that the masses are undisciplined and unwise. So they want to transfer all the wealth to themselves, the disciplined few. The ones who think they're better than you even though they've actively engaged in programming to ensure that the lower class, as they call us, does not have the same education and the same opportunities as they do. They've purposely engineered this divide in society. And yet they have the audacity to claim that we are the undisciplined and ignorant masses even though they've engineered us purposefully to be that. Think about that. There's something that's evil to the core about that notion. Keeping those things from people that can help them to better their quality of life or better their situation on purpose just so that you can benefit. It really is like that. It's really like them name-calling somebody to feel better about themselves. Think about that allegory. Degrading somebody else to make yourself feel good about yourself. That's what they do. That's what they've done. And then they have the audacity to claim that they're better than us somehow. That we're the undisciplined and unworthy ignorant masses. And that we're no better than cattle. Even though they've purposely done everything that they can to make sure that we are left in that position. 
that we've been engineered into that position and we have little hope of extricating ourselves from that position. That's evil and rotten to the core, and that's what's happened here. And it's disguised itself as capitalism. That's one thing Dr. Coleman points out here that I think is hugely important. It's not true capitalism. It's disguised as capitalism. It's crony capitalism at its core. And it stifles innovation. Doesn't cause competition. If there were any real competition among businesses in America today, do you think the prices and the inflation would be as bad as it is? Think about that. If true capitalism were taking place, would we be seeing this rapid inflation like we are? I mean, you know 100%. In your, in your heart and your soul, you know 100% that there are corporations price-gouging people at this point. They come up with every excuse in the book. Oh, the pandemic. Oh, uh, supply chain crisis. Uh, you know, not enough workers and uh, uh, shipping containers stuck over coming across the sea. They come up with every stupid excuse in the book. Nothing's changed. That's the problem. Nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is they now have an excuse that they could use to price gouge people. And they always pass on the expense to the consumer. So all the way up and down the supply chain, the prices have inflated and they've done so artificially because there's so much excess money that was printed and introduced into the economy just so that it could be shuffled overseas and funneled through offshore bank accounts in Ukraine and Israel to be funneled back to these elitist scumbags. That's where it goes, right back to this elitist class. Bleeding off the wealth of the masses. It really is ridiculous, and it really is corrupt to the core, and it really is all part of their plan. But I think they're doomed to failure because people are waking up in droves now to all this corruption and to all the lies and manipulations. They're not buying it anymore. They're not having it. And I think these elitist scumbags are going to have a big problem on their hands very, very soon. And I think, <clears throat> and I hope, we will see changes to the positive. Because what's going on is there is a great awakening of sorts going on. And they've done everything in their power to try to quell this great awakening or to transmute this great awakening into a great reset. And I think they're beginning to fail. I think they're failing. There's too many people that are wise to what's going on. Now, they do have quite a, a bulk of people that are just bought in to the whole system, lock, stock, and barrel. But there's a massive number of people that just aren't buying it anymore. And even the, the normies out there are beginning to question things. Hey, this doesn't look quite right. What's going on with this? They realize something's gone on. I think they went for broke here. And I think they pushed a little too hard, and in so doing, they're escalating this awakening that's going on. 
And there's no stopping an idea whose time has come. And that's, I think, where we're heading to here really fast. People are beginning to realize, hey, this is all corrupt to the core. We, we can't keep doing this. It ultimately leads to our destruction. People are realizing. So I think these elitist scumbags are in for a rude awakening in the future. I have immense hope that things are going to improve here. Despite the fact they're going to attempt to make things very painful for those of us who don't comply to their systems. I do think there's enough of us, though, that we've put such a wrench in their works at this point that they're scrambling to try to get back on track. And that, in and of itself, is extremely hopeful. So we need to keep defying their algorithms. I make that my job here. It's to break their algorithms, we should all be doing that. Because that's, by and large, how they're keeping tabs on things now. And that's one of the big weaknesses that they have at this point, is they're too dependent upon the computers that they put in place to attempt to enslave mankind. Now they, they themselves have become so dependent upon this that they're letting the artificial intelligence guide and run things. And you know what? It's not quite as smart as they thought it was. This is becoming a problem. And you could look this up. I, I was reading this the other day in uh, some mainstream articles that's talking about what's happening now with all of these new AI search engines and stuff like that and these tools, these chat GPT-type tools and stuff that now they've gotten used so many times and so much now that they're running out of good information, good training information for themselves. And they're using second-rate, third-rate, fourth-generation artificial intelligence articles and stuff to learn from, and they're teaching themselves the wrong things, and they're making up total nonsense. <laughs> and it's becoming problematic. So depending upon these tools is going to be their big downfall. I don't have any fear of the AI taking over and becoming sentient. It runs programs. It's not going to be able to do that. It runs algorithms, and apparently it's becoming very poor at doing its own thing that it was designed to do. Because it's drawing from sources that are not accurate or reliable sources. Garbage in, garbage out. You've heard that, right? Well, they've produced so much garbage with this now that it's taking in a bulk of more garbage than it is good information when it's producing these things here, and it's reading these algorithms. So it's going to be a problem for them, and that's why we need to keep on fighting the good fight here, making people aware of these things going on, point out the corruption. Go back and look at the history. Tell people, warn people, point to things like Tavistock and show this blueprint for control that they clearly laid out. A long time ago. And it's coming to pass. It's not coincidence. It's not tinfoil hat nutter garbage. Conspiracy theory. It's fact. It's not a coincidence that somebody 
wrote this plan in 1946, and we're seeing it come to fruition before our eyes today. It's not a coincidence. It's not just random happenstance. It was planned. It was written down. They told you what they were going to do, and here it is. They're doing it. And yet you'll still disregard it and think there's nothing much going on with it. Oh, that's all just tinfoil hat stuff. That's all conspiracy theory. Oh, you're an alarmist. I've been called an alarmist before by people for looking at this stuff. I, I don't call it being an alarmist. I'm telling you, this is what they tell you they're going to do. This is what they tell you in their own words. Look at the world around you. If you can't see it, then I don't think I can help you anymore. If you don't understand what's been done here, that they told you they were going to do this, and here they are doing it, and you still deny it. Well, I don't know what to tell you at that point. It is what it is. I mean, either you consent to it or you don't. That's the point where it's going to be. You're not going to be able to ride the fence anymore on these things. You're going to have to pick a side, folks. It's coming down to that. You're going to have to pick a side and decide which side you're going to stand on. Are you going to stand for what's right? Or are you going to go along to get along and then become engulfed and swallowed up by the system? Because that's what will happen to you if you capitulate to it. So it's time to pick a side. Can't stand back and be neutral anymore. No place for that now. And that's where we're at in the historical timeline of things, really, when it comes down to it. We're living in the time of Revelation. All these things that have been going on behind the veil for so long are now out in the open for everyone to see. And people are just so numb to all of it that they refuse to accept it. The emperor has no clothes, but nobody will say the emperor has no clothes. It truly is that simple. We could break it down to that allegory. The emperor has no clothes. It's plain as day. It's out there in the open. They've told you what they're doing. And they're doing it. You're watching them do it in real time. And yet you'll still deny. They would never do that. No, you would never do that. They certainly would. They're psychopaths. They are bent on world domination. They think they're better than you. They think they have the divine right to rule. They think you're nothing more than an animal. You're little more than a human resource to them. They see themselves as being infinitely superior to you. They call themselves the Olympians. They think they're the gods of this world. They have no compunction with doing that to you. You would never do that. They most certainly would. And that's where we have to draw the distinction here. We can't let cognitive dissonance kick in any longer and be in denial about what is out there in the open going on before our eyes, folks. We need to call it out and we need to stand on the side of what is right. Anyway, that's all I have for tonight, folks. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. Come with me.